Hey there, I'm Stacey Lindsay, one of the hosts of the Scarlet Society podcast. Today, my guest is Dr. Holly Richmond, a leading licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex therapist. Dr. Holly Richmond has helped countless people claim or reclaim their empowerment, their sensuality, and their freedom when it comes to their relationships and their sexual lives. Dr. Holly works with women, with men, and gender diverse individuals, as well as couples. She holds a PhD in somatic psychology. She has a unique combination of professional credentials that really enables her to focus on clients' cognitive processes as well as their somatic health. Today, we really dig into it. We talk about going after what you want in bed. And I asked Dr. Holly, how do we ask for it? When do we broach this subject with our partners? Will our partner even be open to our fantasies? And ultimately, how do we even know what we want in bed? I dig into this and so much more with Dr. Holly. So let's get to my conversation with Dr. Holly Richmond. You're listening to the Scarlet Society podcast, the show that encourages women over 40 to be excited, curious, and even turned on by starting the second half of their life. This is the show for support, community, and conversation about everything that goes along with this season, from sexual health and wellness to sexual exploration, finances, monogamy, and relationships. No topic is off limits. Let's dive in. Dr. Holly Richmond, thank you so much for being with me today. Really appreciate this. Oh, I'm really excited to be here and talk with you. So thank you for the invitation. I got to say, before we dive in, this is a conversation I've been having with myself, particularly since I turned 40, with so many of my close friends, with Jade, our founder of Scarlet Society, how to ask for what you want in bed. And I think it's really needed and really, really important. So I appreciate you kind of diving, diving into this with us. Absolutely. It is really important. So yeah, I'm excited for our discussion today. Kind of starting out, I want to just talk about an overview of your work, if you will. I know you're, you're a certified sex therapist. Um, you've have helped countless people claim, or I should say reclaim their empowerment, their sensuality around their healthy sexual life. I know you work with a lot of people who have experienced trauma. You work with um, gender diverse people, women, men, individuals, couples. Uh, give us an overview of some of your specialties. Yeah. So I, um, my career started at a rape crisis center. Um, and while I was there, I was working on my dissertation. So I quickly realized when I was there that I was taught very well how to treat trauma, how to treat sexual trauma, but I didn't know how to treat the what comes next. And that what comes next piece is good sex and healthy relationships. So when I was there, my dissertation was the recovery of sexual health after sexual assault. My book, Reclaiming Pleasure, really looks at the recovery of sexual health after all kinds of sexual trauma. So it could be childhood sexual abuse. It could be um, gender violence, sexual harassment, rape, sexual assault, sexual abuse. They're really running the gamut for all types of people, as you mentioned. So um, men, women, um, and non-binary identified. Um, in addition to that, so I love my work with survivors. It's probably... 60 to 70% of my work and getting the sex therapy certification allowed me to treat other um, specialties as well. So I treat low libido, desire discrepancies in couples. So when one um, partner has a higher desire level than the other, uh, kinks, fetishes, non-traditional sexual expression. So consensual non-monogamy, polyamory, 
pain during sex, um, erectile function issues. So really, you know, that other 25 to 40% of my practice really looks at kind of an inclusive sex therapy lens. And I know you take a sex positive approach in your work. What does that mean, sex positive? So how I define sex positivity is all sex is good sex as long as it's consensual and pleasurable. So what that does is it really backs us away from um, defensive ideas or shameful ideas about what I want is not right, or I'm broken, or it's perverted, or it's weird. We literally have two boxes to check. Consent, first and foremost, do I want this? Is this consensual? And the second is, is it pleasurable? That's it. There's no weird. There's no not right. There's no wrong way to do it. Your sex positivity might include penetration. It might not. It might include oral sex. It might not. So really, it just kind of levels the playing field and we're all included. Okay. So that's where we got to start going deep because now I'm thinking, I'm thinking back as one does, right? To kind of when they first started learning about sex and thinking about sex and what was interesting to them. And of course, I can only talk about my lived experience, um, but I was brought up in a pretty conservative setting, I should say. And of course, there's still, I'm 41 now, and I feel like I'm still cracking or I guess um, breaking myself against those taboos or things maybe that I'm interested in, but I feel like, oh, is that is that okay? Is that right? Is that normal or whatever normal is? Um so starting, I'm just curious, what are you seeing in that regard, um, Dr. Holly, in your work in regard to really kind of exploring and going after what you want in your sexual life, what you want in quote unquote bed? Are people, you know, what's kind of holding people back and what are you seeing these days? Yeah. So first I want to start with this timeline. And I think so many of us feel like I'm running behind. I'm too late. Um, why did I discover this so late? I love that you, you know, you called out your age. So this is, we're all learning. And I just want to say from my um, experiential perspective, so my, my experience sitting with clients, that age of like 38 until 45, 46, women, especially female body people come on fire and they really start looking at this. Um, I know for me, that was my journey too. My whole life shifted around the age of 38 and I discovered my sexuality and our Gen Zs, they're getting it sooner, which I think is a fantastic thing, right? So the millennials, we've got the millennials in the, in the middle, they're having less sex than any generation in recorded history. So there's parts of that that are not so great. I think the great part of that, I think they're um, requesting and really demanding better sex. So I think they're having less sex because I know for my Gen X generation, I did sex for other people. I had sex um, to make, exactly. make the guy happy. Millennials are like, F that, right? I'm going to have sex for me and that sex deserves to be good. In Gen Z, they are so sex positive, so inclusive. They're more willing to look at differences in sexual expression. Um, and this is just a beautiful evolution. So I'm sorry, Stacey, I'm going back to your question. How it's incredible know? though. I'm just like, this yeah. is in, this is amazing. This is absolutely incredible. And just, we can hold for one second. It's so yeah. interesting about millennials are having the least amount of sex right now. That's, that's unprecedented. I have to say that's wild. It, it is. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, so the millennials, that's when, you know, they kind of grew up 
Um, so the younger ones grew up with technology. So we've definitely looked at is technology taking them away from these in-person connections? So I think that is a valid piece of it. We know that social media really adds to anxiety. So people, that generation has more anxiety than I think um, perhaps you and I did growing up, or we just didn't know what to call it then. Um, but I really do think that they're expecting better sex. So they're not having crappy sex. They're like, no, I'm, I'm just not willing to do that anymore. Right. Wow. <laughs> which is, which is great. Truly so back, back to your question. How do we ask for what we want in bed? I think we first have to turn the lens on ourselves. How do we know what we want in bed? How exactly. do we identify what we want? <laughs> I've had that. If I just may add, I've had that moment recently, again, going back to my age, because it's so interesting, Dr. Holly, you say 38 was a big one for you around that time. It started being big for me too. And there was that shift. And I was actually in a relationship where the sex was, I'm just going to just it wasn't, it, it might as well have not even been happening. There was no pleasure in my regard. Um, and, but I think I started becoming more discerning about what I wanted, or at least what I really liked versus what I didn't like. And I felt almost a shedding too, because, you know, you watch porn and you think there's certain things, at least for me, I thought there were certain things I should be doing to look a certain way or to perform a certain way for the other person I was in bed with. And that started going away. And now I'm just discovering, okay, none of that was really even serving me. Um, but yeah, I'm at this interesting point now where I'm starting to dig in and I want to keep asking you about this, you know, what, how do we ask for what we want? But I guess that's the better place to start is how do we know, how do we discover what we want? Where do we start there? <laughs> yeah. And this is such an exciting part of the work I do. So with, with survivors of sexual trauma, of course, we're working through the trauma first, but then we come to this pleasure piece and I've developed a protocol, I call it discovering your sexual template. So we're really looking at desire and arousal. So desire, that psychological process of wanting, arousal, the physiological process of wanting. So desire is typically happening in our brains, arousal is happening in our bodies. So I go through a series of questions with people and just figure out what's sexy, what turns you on? Um, and for a lot of people, I want to say that's too big of a jump from the get-go. So they're not really, their sexuality might be shut down for a lot of reasons. So we can do a sexual template out in the world. So we can look at what do I find sexy? What am I attracted to? What do I notice gets me excited? What fills me with that sense of eroticism, which is life force, vitality, creativity, so it doesn't have to be sexual. So I just don't want to scare the listeners off if they're like, oh my gosh, I can't go to the sex right away. You don't have to go to the sex right away. We can start with just your lived experience in the world. So can you help me to just, again, for somebody, if this is brand new, um, if I want to start exploring this tomorrow, you know, and kind of getting out, and like you said, if maybe if I'm not ready to get to the actual, like the sex part of it, but I want to start seeing like what brings me pleasure, what turns me on. What are some, are there some practices? Are there some specific questions I can start asking myself to discover sure. this? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, so I, uh, my degree, my PhD is in somatic psychology. So the body is really, so soma equals the body. So it's body psychology. And I was like, okay, I can't study the body if I'm studying, you know, I have to study the body if I'm studying sexuality and you can't study sex unless you're studying the body. So what I ask my clients is to really pay attention to their nervous system. And I just give a scale of one to 10. So one is very depressed, almost catatonic. 10 is full on panic attack. So we're trying to find that zone of fluidity right in the middle. 
So not laxity, not rigidity, but that zone of fluidity right in the middle. So I'll just have my clients go out and experience different activities that they would do through their day and ask, how does your nervous system feel now? Do you feel grounded or do you feel spinny? Do you feel happy? Do you feel sad? Do you feel connected? Do you feel isolated? So we just start with those little questions and then it might go to pieces that give us pleasure, food, drink, connection, dance, music, writing, art. Then we follow those threads. And then from there, we can bring it out to the relational piece and then the sexual piece. So let's say you're on this journey and you yeah. start discovering those things about yourself. And then you start linking that to you know the sexual aspect of yourself and you start discovering, okay, I'm into... I'm into more kink or I'm into more um, maybe group experiences, whatever it may be. You know, it's unique for every individual. Then comes the fear, I think, or the trepidation to broach that subject, to talk about, and if you're in a partnership, a monogamous or polyamorous, whatever, whatever it may be, how do you start to talk about this with your sexual partner? Oh, that's such a good question. Um so thank you for normalizing all of those, those relational and sexual models. That's the first step. Um, those are all really valid, sex positive and normal. So if you are drawn to kink or poly or group, that's all normal. Now asking your partner for it, here's where I like to start. It's from a place of curiosity. So Stacy, if you and I were in relationship, I would say something to you like, um, Stacy, I really love this about our sex life, but I'm wondering what you think about a group exploration. And then so you can say without getting defensive, because I did not criticize you. I, I named a thing that I liked about our sex life and then just said, how do you feel about group exploration? So you can come back and say to me, I don't know, Stacy, what would you say? I would say I'm curious about it. I'm I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Right. Yeah. So it can be a yes, no, or a maybe. And okay. I think you just gave me a maybe, uh, a maybe. <laughs> yes. And that's a great one. Okay. But you could have also okay. said, oh my gosh, that really scares me. I'm not ready for that right now, but can you tell me a little bit more about it? Or you could have turned to me and been like, I have been thinking, thinking the same thing for us. Our relationship is so solid. I feel so connected to you, but I think some sexual exploration would be great for us. Because I love that because that's the other really important part of the puzzle for, and I feel that potentially we could each be on either end. It's the, if you're posing the question or you're bringing this up to your partner wanting to explore, but then you may be on the receiving end and it may feel, you could feel many, many things. And I know just again, speaking for my own, only for my lived experience, um, I don't know, I, I, I might feel less than perhaps, or kind of worried that I'm not offering my partner enough and broaching it that way, I feel leaves it more, it's, it's warmer. It definitely leaves it more open-ended and it's not as. It's, it's not yeah. me sitting down and saying, I hate our sex life. I'm so bored. We're going to go out and do this group experience. It is the absolute opposite of that. Um, okay. So here's the thing in relationships, long-term relationships can get dull um, absolutely. So you're out of that limerence phase. Limerence is that honeymoon phase that lasts anywhere from six months to, if you're really lucky, about three years. Um, 
novelty is really the seed of human desire. And so we know when we're in these long-term relationships and these safe, secure containers of our relationship that feel so good, the novelty goes down. So what we're asking for, so that sexual exploration, it's not a reflection of you. It's not that you're less than, that you're not enough for me. I'm just saying, let's bring in some novelty here. That lands. That absolutely lands. Yes. And that's a fear of mine, I have to say. I'm, I'm grateful to say now I'm, I'm, I'm in partnership with a person um, with whom I really want this. I liked the idea of this going for many, many years. It scares me, though, because we're in that phase, that wonderful sort of honeymoon phase right now. And I start future gazing, like, what happens when this maybe goes away? Or what happens maybe when I want to start exploring more? Right. So it totally Talk lands. Talk about it. <laughs> Talk about it. Yeah. So, Dr. Holly, what about you bring this up and this meaning, what do you think about, you know, I really love this about this aspect of our sexual uh, partnership or sexual relationship and what, how would you feel about some group play? And let's say the response is a no um, or, a, or a chafing or kind of a, a fear, I would say, on the negative end of the spectrum. Ultimately, what I want to ask is, what if you want something and your partner does not want that? Where do you go from there? Yeah. Um, and thank you for bringing that up because that's something, something I sit with couples in almost every day. So these desire discrepancies, and of course, I'm trying to big bring people to the middle so they can have collaboration. I, I like the word collaboration better than compromise. And there are going to be some people who are like, absolutely not. Group play is off the table for me. Kink is off the table for me. And that needs to be respected. So what we would talk about there is um, I wonder if there would be some non-sexual way to help that couple find the excitement that they need. So that could be one piece of collaboration. And then the other piece, to be quite honest, would be having the couple talk about what could the partner do that wants more novelty, that wants more exploration? Does that just need to exist in fantasy for them? Um, can they watch can they read erotica about it? Could they um, have a really safe, contained relationship where they're exploring that with someone else, but everything's known? So this kind of consensual non-monogamy or ethical non-monogamy agreement that certain couples come to. So there are really a lot of creative ways that we can help people get their needs met. But the person coming in and saying, I want the group play, um, I would never guarantee, oh, yes, absolutely. I can convince your partner to do that. And I feel like that that's what some couples come to me for is like, hey, I want this thing. Convince her to do it. Convince him to do it. And that's that's not what we do. Okay. Okay. I want to make sure we're really spotlighting some of the incredible things that you said. Um, and I want to go back to something you said a few minutes ago, too, just about kind of when this time frame for, um, I would say, women identifying individuals. Um this is a time of the age I'm at, 41, kind of a time of fire coming alive. Uh, and also to just this discovery that all of these things are okay. Because I, I think the part I want to go back to more is the taboo part, the shame part, feeling bad about it. If I'm curious about something, if a dear friend of mine is curious about something, if my partner's curious about something and it's, you know, they want to explore themselves it is okay to desire these things, to explore. Um, <laughs> going back to my background, you know, kind of Catholic background, it's like, whoo, you know, <laughs> I've got a lifetime of unpacking this. But you did. You packed a suitcase full of shame. I'm shame and guilt, I'm guessing. 
Right. So any for, I think, some fierce self-compassion in, in unpacking some of that, those narratives around shame, around taboo, any exercises or conversations we can have with ourselves to, to help with that? Mm-hmm. So identifying the fantasy, so many of us are in our heads and have these fantasies that we feel like we could never share with someone else, because what would it say about us? Say if we're into group sex, or if we're into forced seduction. So forced seduction is the language we use now around like the rape fantasies, but all romance novels are about so many female identified people have a fantasy around forced seduction, but they're afraid to say it because they're feminist or believe in equality. And they're like, oh my gosh, how could I want to be taken and still be strong? I'm like, oh my gosh, they go together so perfectly. So first we go to the fantasy and we find the meaning because it's usually about empowerment or embodiment or feeling desired or feeling beautiful, feeling strong, expressing our artistic side or, you know, just like this, this creativity in us. Again, that word eroticism, life force. So we find the meaning. And then once you do that, it normalizes people usually get so much more grounded in what they're wanting. They don't feel shame about it. And then from there, we can decide, do you think this is something you want to explore in real life? Or is this just for you in, in, in your fantasy world, in your imagination? That is incredible too, because I've thought about that so much. I was just having a conversation about this, that how can I be a feminist, you know, if I then desire maybe something like this, or how can I, you know, that kind of that play between the masculine and the feminine dominance too. Um, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's been, I think, and I've talked to many friends about that as well. How can I desire this? But then again, I'm, I'm a feminist or I believe in equal rights or I believe in fair play in the bedroom, all of that. Right. Right. Absolutely. So you can desire, you can deserve and, um, Accept, ask for pleasure, right? And I think, um, Stacy, for people in our generation, I, I know I didn't have experience asking for my pleasure. I didn't have experience asking for that. So we can ask for what we want, have that given to us and not feel like we're weird or broken or not showing up in the collective consciousness in the way we are, because it's all, if we come from the sex positive perspective of consent and pleasure, it's all good. And we all get to express that in the way we want to. And usually our sexual lives are private, right? We don't want them to be secret because secrecy and shame um, go together like this. So, but we all deserve this degree of privacy and every couple or every person is going to come to their baseline of how private do I need to keep this? But if you have forced seduction fantasies, you can play it out with your partner. You can keep those to yourselves or you can go to a sex club. There's all ways to kind of experiment. And you might go to a sex club have an experience like that and decide, yep, not for me. I'm glad I tried it, but not for me. And that's okay too. What if there is a situation with a partnership that has been in partnership for a long time? Um, and what is a long time? Let's say maybe six, seven, eight years, you know, a, a, de- a good chunk of time and they've been getting along well and maybe their sex life has been active, but then one person has an awakening and they want more. Um, I'm wondering if that's another layer too, if there's kind of, if you've ever encountered somebody who's wanting to broach the subject well into their partnership and maybe one person thinks everything's fine and the other person, you know, still loves the person, but they want to explore more. What are some points and some, 
some advice for people in long-term commitments who want to spice yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is so, that is so many of, of the clients I see. Um, so it would be sitting down, both of those people being in conversation with each other. And I, again, I would start small. So what could we possibly do at home to spice things up? And then for the partner that wants to explore more, maybe their partner would feel safer if they went to a couple's resort or a tantric weekend workshop or, you know, a resort, um, meaning like hedonism, something where there's, you know, more uh, sexual expressions, should we say, or again, a tantric workshop, healthy sexuality workshop, female embodiment workshop, male embodiment workshop. So I think there's a lot of iterations of getting to spice it up that people often don't think about. Wow. So there's hope. There's <laughs> always. Hope. There's always hope. That's what I'm taking away from this. Yes. And it's never too late. It's never too late. I love that. And I want to ask you about intimacy too, if that's okay, because, because um, intimacy can mean many, many things for many individuals, I imagine, and many couples too. How, what role does intimacy play in these conversations? I think if one couple maybe says, well, Dr. Holly, we feel we're very intimately connected, but we're still having a problem, you know, with this conversation, or we're still having a problem kind of connecting on our self or our sex lives. Is intimacy needed to have these conversations? Yes, really. So um, the definition of intimacy that I've taken with me is to just to break up the word into me see. So what you're offering to your partner is an expression of yourself. You are showing them a deep, vulnerable part of you. I don't think we can have great conversations about sexuality, especially in a long-term relationship, if we're also not being vulnerable. Intimacy almost demands vulnerability. Um, it's the art of connection. So I think the intimacy piece is absolutely essential. And I was just thinking about a couple I was sitting with. Uh, she wants more sex in the bedroom. He needs more affection and validation outside the bedroom. That's intimacy, right? He's asking for intimacy. He's asking to be seen. She's asking to, to you know, be desired. Um, really helping them understand and come to a plan on that has been so beautiful. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for, for walking us through this. And, you know, I think it's it's fascinating how sex is obviously something that it touches upon so many other aspects of our lives and who we are. And I think one thing, just learning from you during this conversation and just kind of exploring my own sexual life as well, as I've learned, we get to learn so much more about ourselves ultimately too, and kind of how we want to navigate the world, how we want to move through it. I'm wondering, um, Dr. Holly, for we, we've touched upon a lot of tips and a lot of conversation starters and tools. Um, for people who want to learn more about your work uh, and get your book, um, yeah, how can they? How can we learn more? How can they find you? Oh, that's wonderful! Thank you for asking. So, um, I'll start with social media. So, Instagram, Facebook, it's at Dr. Holly Richmond. So, D R H O L L Y R I C H M O N D. My website is drhollyrichmond.com. My book is called Reclaiming Pleasure, A Sex-Positive Guide for Moving Past Sexual Trauma and Living a Passionate Life. And I also am the Associate Director for Modern Sex Therapy Institute. So if you want to come grab some great two-hour classes, four-hour classes, certifications, come on over to Modern Sex Therapy. Um, everything from sexual health and anatomy to kinks, fetishes, non-binary, LBGTQIA, trauma and drama. Like there's just, there's a really great host of courses there. 
Well, and thank you for reminding us too that we each contain multitudes. Like it's all okay, and we get, we're constantly growing and evolving and just in learning. So it's pretty amazing, I have to say. And thank you so much for the work that you do because again, this is a conversation that is so incredibly needed. And it's 2022, and I feel we're still not there yet. We're still ultimately, we're starting to get there, you know, but we're not fully, fully there embracing it. So it's needed. So thank you for doing the work that you do. I, I do. And I just thank you to you and Jade for really focusing on this segment um, for female bodied people. I'm so excited. 41 is great. I've got 11 years on you. It just gets better. So, um, so <laughs> I wanted to ask that too, because it's like a leading question. It's a hopeful question, but it does get better because it seems like <laughs> I did things a little backwards, but it still gets better. I had my kids very late, so I'm 52 now and have some little ones at home. Um, but it just means that we get really creative, which can be a lot of fun. Um, so it just, please don't buy into the trope that um, your sex drive naturally goes down and sex isn't going to be as good. There's a few research studies that say people have the best sex in their mid to late 50s and 60s. Because they know who they are. They know what they want. They know how to ask for it. And they don't really care what anyone else thinks anymore. And once you have that moment of clarity, or I say many moments of clarity, like like I personally had, I thought, this is what it's supposed to be. Okay, I want more of that. You kind of can't go back, I don't think. (laughs) I always say you can't unaware awareness. Once you have the awareness, there's no like, oh, I forgot I saw that. You know, once you have good sex, you're not going to go back to bad sex. Well, here's for everybody listening to have good sex, to ask for what you want, to know that there's nothing wrong with you too. If you have all these wild desires, we're all human. And to check out Dr. Holly Richmond's work, because again, you're just really, really helping so many people. And you've helped me just in this brief conversation. So Dr. Holly, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Your support means so much to us. And I hope you got some great value from today's episode. If you're looking for resources from today's show or you'd like to join other women just like you looking to explore their sexual health and wellness, visit us over at scarletsociety.com.